I want you to take your card. You've been given this card. I want you to take it. I want you to hold it while uh, I move through the message. In fact, you can take it and turn on the back and you can write some notes, but I want you to have that in your hand while we move through this message. And uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you would look with me at Isaiah chapter 54. Just go ahead, look at Isaiah chapter 54, and while you're doing that, let me just explain that uh, over the last few days you've not seen us. That's because my wife is sick, and uh, just out of concern for everybody else, we stayed in and away from everything. Uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, she spent three days with me in the house. Uh, she's in the floor weeping right now. <laughs> so, no, uh, it, but she's better. She's fine. Uh, nothing that uh, maybe a couple of cakes and pies would not help. <laughs> no, please don't do that. She'll get me when I get home. Um, so if you've got your and there are other people. Charles had surgery this week, and um, Joyce is sick as well, and Connor's been sick, and so... Uh, for some reason, it, Barry's been sick, so it's kind of something's going on with the staff. Um, me, I'm healthy. I tell them it's good, clean living that does it. So anyway, Isaiah chapter 54. Uh, a number of years ago, I had the, the, it was really a privilege because not long after he was with us, he passed away. Um, Louis Palau, who was known as the Billy Graham of South and Central America, worked with Dr. Graham uh, for years over many different projects. In that part of the world, Louis Palau was a great evangelist uh, from Argentina, wonderful man. Uh, it's just so thankful that I had the privilege, I think he passed away less than a year after he was with us, but came, with, uh, came and preached at our pastor's conference in Jacksonville and uh, was just, uh, just a real privilege to get to know him and to hear his salvation story. I want you to listen to this. Because his family came to the Lord through missionaries. Listen to what he said. The British missionaries who led my family to Christ made all the cultural mistakes in the book. I remember as a little boy sitting in the front row watching this poor man. It was hot as blazes in the summer, but being a proper Britisher, he not only wore a tweed suit, but a vest and thick socks. Nathan, Gandalf. I'm calling you Gandalf. Um, he, he wore that vest, those thick socks. He would stand there sweating and sweating. I remember looking at the poor fellow and saying, why didn't he take his coat off? But a proper Britisher in those days kept his coat on, toughed it out. He massacred the Spanish language and had strange foreign habits to us. But because of that fellow... My mom and dad went to heaven when they died. Amen. Did you hear what Louis Palau said? He said, this guy came in and broke every cultural taboo in the book. And we think before we go, we've got to have that all down because everything's about culture today. This guy goes there and he blows it. He doesn't look like the Argentinians. He doesn't sound like the Argentinians. His hair is different. His skin is different. Everything about him is different. His clothes are different. Everything about this guy. He murders the Spanish language. He doesn't know their culture, doesn't understand their customs. He is uh, used to something totally different. And yet, because he had a mission ambition, 
he went and shared the gospel, and Louis Palau and his family came to Jesus Christ. What an incredible concept. What a thing for us to think about because many of us think we can't do missions because we don't have all of this stuff together. It is amazing what God will do through a person who just simply has a mission ambition. And by the way, I want you to watch this text today because that's exactly what you find in the heart of God. God has a heart for missions. All you have to do is go all the way back to the third chapter of Genesis, and there God himself comes, knowing what has happened, and yet he comes looking for Adam, calling, Adam, where are you? God has been searching for man ever since. He was searching for you when you came to know him as Lord and Savior. Now, let me tell you, uh, not necessarily you were not searching for him, but he was searching for you or you would not be saved today. So I want, to, I want to take you to this passage this morning, and I want you to look at this mission ambition that God has in his heart. I want you to see this, and as you get to Isaiah, I want to give you a little bit of a background of the prophet Isaiah. If you'll put your finger there in chapter 54, go back all the way to chapter 1 and understand Isaiah is speaking to a nation that's living in sin. Now, there are those that I totally and completely disagree with. I do not believe that there were two Isaiahs, Deutero-Isaiah, as they call it, or Trito-Isaiah. I don't believe that there were three of them. I believe there was one, the same God that uh, caused this one Isaiah to be able to prophesy about the coming Babylonian captivity was certainly able to show him also Israel in that millennial state, in that millennial age that will all be in those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, And and so um, he comes and he confronts the people of Judah is really who he's speaking to. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 3, an ox knows its owner and a donkey knows its manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. God says, my people don't know me. The people that I call my people don't know who I am because they have gone off into sin. Now listen to what he says to them in that very famous verse in Isaiah 1 verse 18, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. He says, you come and repent to me and I will forgive and spare you. But he says two verses later this, He says, if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord is spoken. He says, if you don't repent and turn back to me, he says, judgment is going to fall. That's the 39 chapters of Isaiah. That's the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, how judgment is going to come. And then you come to a shift. There's a turn in the book of Isaiah. In the prophecy of Isaiah, he turns in chapter 40, and I want you to listen to what he says. Because just like the psalmist, uh, the psalmist who says that uh, God is not going to be angry with us forever, will you be angry with us forever? God's not going to do that. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Well, that's what's going to happen in chapter 40. And so you've got this change now in chapter 40 where God speaks and he says, comfort, oh, comfort my people. Now, by the way, that's plural in the Hebrew and it's poor English, but it's real good theology and it's this, 
comforts. Comforts. Comforts my people. That is, there is a multiplicity. There is a plethora of comfort that comes for God to his people. Now listen to what he says right here. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed. Now listen, he says this, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Well, the fact of the matter is Israel did not. Judah did not receive double for her sin. She did not receive all that God could have poured out on her. And let me tell you something, neither have you. You have not gotten half of what you deserve. I've not gotten half of what I deserve. And you know what? Thank God we never will. Do you know why? Because that's a reference to someone else. Now, right here's the place you can get Pentecostal. I'm telling you, listen, who's he speaking of right here? That she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her. Who's going to take every ounce that I deserve of punishment and judgment, Jesus Christ. So he's making reference now already where this turns and he comes and he says, comfort my people. You are comforted with the thought that everything that should have fallen on you in judgment fell on Jesus Christ at the cross. Now, look, amen goes right there. Amen. She's received it. From the Lord's hand, double. And then he begins to lay out. He goes through this. It's kind of fascinating here as you work through this and look through all of this that he begins to talk about somebody who is called the suffering servant. Chapter 42 is the first time that he mentions it. You get over to chapter 49 is the second time he mentions it. Chapter 50 is the third time. And then you get into 52, 13 through the entire chapter 53, and it's the fourth time that he mentions this person called the suffering servant. And so Isaiah comes and he says, listen, this person is going to come. The one that has taken our iniquity, he says, God's not just set you out from the bondage of uh, the Babylonians, not free from the Babylonians. That's not all of it. He says, listen, what has happened is that he has taken your iniquity away, your sin. And he says, this is how he did it. Verse 4 of chapter 53, surely our griefs he that one coming, he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, and we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, and he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Now look at this. Look at verse 10. But the Lord was pleased. Do you see this? But the Lord was pleased. Now, I've got three grown children. I've got 16 grandchildren. I've never whooped one of my grandchildren. I, I threaten them with it all the time. Uh, but I've never, I've never whooped one of them. But now I lit into the other three <laughs> when, they were, when they were my three, you know. And listen, let me tell you, I never enjoyed it. It was never a joyful thing. But we're told right here, the Lord was pleased. Do, do you feel the weight of this? Is any of this just really connecting that the Lord was pleased to crush him, his son, Jesus Christ? He was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Putting him to grief. If he would do one thing, what was that? Render himself a guilt offering. 
for us. And so he comes in in this marvelous, magnificent chapter, chapter 53, he comes and he speaks of a coming Messiah who is going to take all of our failures and sin and mistake and our sorriness of life and he is going to put it all over on him and he will be pleased to crush him as a sin offering so that we might be free. Jiminy Cricket. Chapter 54 comes out of this. Now that's the background because you come and you see the mission heart of God, the mission ambition of God in chapter 54, having come and told us this incredible story of salvation, of how our sins will be dealt with, our iniquity will be dealt with, our transgressions will be dealt with. He comes and he speaks now of the heart of God in that he wants the world to know of this salvation. Now look with me as I pick it up in chapter 54, verse 1. And I want you to see that this mission ambition speaks of spiritual reproduction. Now he speaks of Judah as having been saved. Judah having experienced her iniquity and sin taken away. He comes and he says three things. Now watch this. He says, shout for joy, O barren one. You who have borne no child, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. Now I've just read three verbs right there that have everything to do with singing and shouting and rejoicing. Three times God says this. He says, I want you to shout for joy. I want you to break forth in joyful shouting. I want you to cry aloud. And you say, for what? Because their salvation? Well, certainly because of their salvation, but that's not the context of the verse. Look at the verse. The verse comes and it says this. Shout for joy, O barren one. You who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed, you've never been in labor before. Because, listen to what he says, for, conditional sentence, listen to what he says, for, because the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous, now listen to what he's saying, you who have been barren and unable to bear a child will have more children than all these other women that are out there. The whole context of this is spiritual reproduction. He's speaking of Judah in terms, he's speaking of Judah in terms of, uh, it's a metaphor, as if she's a wife, as if she is a bride, as if she is the wife in a marriage. And so God speaks to her and says, you've not had any children. Now, in that day and time, in that culture, not to have a child, that was the single purpose of a woman. Now, I'm just telling you what the culture was at that day and time, that for a Jewish wife not to have a child was to be everything uh, that brings up in the idea of failure because she was to give sons, not daughters, but sons, really. And so here she is, and she bore no spirit. Why did she bear no spiritual children? Because she was off in sin. She was in sin. She could not bear spiritual children. Her womb was dead. There was no life. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul says, we were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. There was no life in us. We, we couldn't bring, when you were lost, you didn't share Jesus Christ with anybody. 
There was no spiritual birth coming out of you, no spiritual life in you to share. But here he says, you've been saved now. You've come to the place where you have been forgiven of your sins, and because of that, you are now able to give spiritual birth. You are now able to share the gospel of this coming Messiah with everybody. You're to take the word of God and share with the world now that God has a Messiah that is going to come that will take our sins and our iniquity and our transgression and he will bear it upon himself. In some kind of way, they didn't understand it all. I'll get back to that a little later. He says, that's what you share. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying to us. We are to be, listen, We are to be spiritually fruitful. I'm looking over to John chapter 15, and I want you to listen to what Jesus says here. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in me. And he says, just as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And he says, you so proved to be my disciples. That's exactly what he's calling us to do right here. He's calling us to be fruitful in our spiritual life, to, to, to bear spiritual children, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see men and women and boys and girls come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he's telling us, our Father is pleased when we do this. He comes to them and he says, this is what you are to do now. Now that you've experienced this release from bondage and this release from your sin and iniquity, he says, now you come and let there be spiritual reproduction. You say, wait wait a minute, wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know how to do that. Well, whose fault is that? I've preached two different sermons specifically on one verse. I've given you one verse just to memorize Romans 6, 23, and I've shown you how you can just take one verse, and from one verse, you can share Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you don't even have to know the verse. Helps you to know it. In fact, I'm going to show you something. Y'all are just sitting there looking at me. Look over here at, at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Put your finger in back there, and um, Jesus goes over to the land of the Gadarenes. And you know what meets him there. He's got a demon-possessed man. They call him Legion because there's so many demons in him. Uh, They can't chain him down. He breaks the chains. He cuts himself. He comes running out of the cemetery screaming. That'd be it for me. I'd be back in a boat by that point. He comes out of a cemetery screaming, chains hanging off of him. All these demonic voices I can just imagine just coming out of him. Uh, The demons implored him saying, uh, you know, who who are you? Why are you here? What business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, don't torment us. Don't, Don't do to us what we deserve. Don't do this thing to us. Well, Jesus cast those demons out of the man, you know, into the herd of swine. That's where you get deviled ham from. And I had to say that. And, and, um, and, and what happens to the guy? Well, the guy is now seated in his right mind, clothed, seated in his right mind, and the guy wants to go. Jesus is going to leave and go back to the other side. The demon possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him, and he did not let him. 
Jesus wouldn't let him, and Jesus said to him, go home. He didn't say go to seminary. He said go home. He didn't say go to Bible school. He said go home. He didn't even tell him to go to Sunday school. He said go home. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you, and he went away. He did it. He didn't have any better sense than to do exactly what Jesus told him. He went away and began to proclaim at Decapolis with great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. A couple of weeks ago, I sat with a young man uh, whom I've, to my knowledge, I've never met before, did not know, and uh, shared with him, talked with him. And uh, he, of course, he was curious as to why we were there and what we were doing and uh, why we were sharing with him. He just couldn't understand it and didn't believe it. And uh, I just simply looked at him and said, listen, I didn't talk to him about Christology or soteriology or hermodiology or sublapsarianism or premillennialism or anything. I just looked at him and said, the only reason I'm here with you and I've never seen you before this afternoon, when I could be back home with my family, my grandkids, the only reason I'm here is that Jesus Christ changed my life, and I'm here to tell you about it. That's the only reason. Because if Jesus Christ hadn't done it, I wouldn't have been there. It wouldn't have mattered to me whatever happened to him. Does it matter to you what is happening to the rest of this world, that it's lost, dying, and headed for hell? We are told because we have salvation. Listen, let me tell you something. It doesn't say get a degree in how to share Jesus Christ. Your commission is your salvation. That is your commission. We are to go because we've experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. They don't have an argument for that. There, listen, there ain't an argument for that. If you've been changed by Jesus, they can't dispute it. Let me give you the second thing, and the second thing is this, since y'all are all helped up about that. The second thing is this, this mission ambition, watch, also speaks of a physical preparation. That's what he comes to in verse 2, is he comes to this whole thing of physical preparation. If there's this spiritual reproduction that is going to take place, there's going to have to be a physical preparation. Now, I've shared with you before, and I'm going to point this out to you again, that whenever you sit down to, uh, to, to look at Scripture and to read Scripture and to study Scripture, notice the verbs. Watch the verbs. I'm going to show you about five of them right here. Watch these verbs right here. They're pretty fascinating. Enlarge the place of your tent. Now, by the way, he's still speaking to Judah as if she's a woman because in that culture, the women put the tents up. Just like the American Indians, the women would put up the teepees. In that culture, the men tended to the animals, to the flocks, to the herds, and the women would put up the tents. It's no different in our day. When I moved here, my wife looked at 53 houses. You know where I was? Jacksonville. I just said, find a house. When you found it, let me know. If you want me to look at it, I'll come look at it. Because it's hers anyway. It's got her name on it <laughs> and not mine. So anyway, uh, that's what they did. They put up, so now he's speaking to the nation of Judah as if she is a wife. And he says this about her tent. Enlarge the place of your, there's not enough land here. There's not enough space here. You're going to have to enlarge the footprint that you put this tent on. And then when he comes with the next verb, he says, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Now, I want to tell you that in the theological New Testament 
commentary, the international commentary on the New Testament by Oswald. He says that. I give you that for this reason. If you want to look it up, you can look it up. Stretch out doesn't mean that the, that the, that the camel hair and the goat hide uh, could stretch. It, this, this ain't the stretchy jeans for which we give thanks for. You couldn't stretch a goat hide. You couldn't stretch a camel hide. It literally, according to Oswald, is you're going to have to get a new tent. You get a new tent. You enlarge the place. You get a bigger place, and then you get a bigger tent. And then look at this. You lengthen the cords because the, the tent is going to be larger. The cords are, have to be longer. I, I remember the first circus that my dad took me to when I was a boy. I was in grammar school. I, I can't remember, six, seven, eight years of, I, I don't know, somewhere in there. And I remember I was fascinated as they put the tents up because I watched them put up those big tents and, and uh, they had these massively long ropes that they had that went all the way up to that top pole. And I watched that, these long, he says, you're going to have to lengthen your cords if you're going to put up a binger tent, and you're going to have to strengthen your pegs, all of these verbs. You can't take a little peg like you use on a pup tent. Those men had massive, uh, they had massive pegs that they used. They were, they were longer than this thing here. They used those things, and they had this big head to it. And one man stood on this side and a man stood on, and he would hammer that thing. And this guy would hammer and he would hammer and he would hammer. He would hammer. He says, you're going to have to prepare for what's going to happen. You're going to have to enlarge the place and stretch out the, the curtains. You're going to have to lengthen the cords and strength. You're going to have to use big pegs on this thing. Now that speaks of capacity, church. But in the whole of this, as you read it, there is also an urgency. You've got to do this now. Isaiah is coming. The Lord is speaking, and he says, listen, before you have the first of these children, you've got to do this. You've got to get busy. You can't wait until all these children are here to do verse 2. You can't wait for verse 1 to happen before you start in on verse 2. You've got to prepare for this thing. And you say, well, wait a minute, I don't like to do that. I like to see first what's going to happen. That's exactly what we do in Baptist business meeting. And all of God's people said, amen. He's telling them to walk by faith. He's telling them, do you trust me by faith? A harvest is coming. You just trust me by faith. You get the place ready. I'll bring the harvest. Let me take you over to Hebrews chapter 10 when it comes to this whole issue of faith. I want you to listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he or she shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him or her. Now did you hear that? The only way to please God is by faith. To trust him with what we don't see yet, that is faith. Lord, I'm trusting what you're going to do. I don't see it. But listen, there's a third part to this. Look back in chapter 54. Look in the middle of verse 2 because he comes here with this verb, spare not. 
no hesitancy. We don't hesitate when it comes to this. We don't pull back. We don't draw back. We don't sit back and just wait and watch to see what God's going to do. And then once God does something, we'll do it. Listen, God says, you do it now and I'll bring it about. You can go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39. Listen to what he says there. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. Listen, let me tell you something, Valleydale. We're not going to retreat. We're, we're, nor are we going to sit on our blessed assurance. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the, progress, to the persevering of the soul. We're going to move forward. Now you say, when a preacher, you're preaching all this, how does this apply to what we're doing here on this Mission Sunday and what we've done in missions and all? I want to show you something. I shared with you two years ago we were going to do this, and here we are. I want you to look at these figures right here. I want you to see this. We have enlarged the tent of missions in this church by 164%. Now, I want everybody awake and I want everybody looking because somebody's going to walk up and say, well, what are we doing now for missions? This right here. We've just increased it 164%. Last year, we gave $397,130. I told you two years ago, we were going to take what was being paid on debt and we were going to move it to missions. We are giving this year $1,008,230. Yeah, you ought to applaud. Now, that's what we're doing with your money right there. All of that is going to missions. You said, well, what happened to all the money we were paying for that? Going to missions. It's right there. 397000 last year, $1,008,200. You say, well, how do we know we're going to get that? It's a thing called the preacher is trusting God by faith. And I'm hoping that you're going to give it. I'll be part of giving. I ain't got that much. Now, Debbie does, but I don't. (laughs) I'm going to give. I'm hoping you're going to give. And this year, you know what we'll do as a church? We'll give right at 20% of our budget to missions. Now, that's what I call enlarging the tent. But now, let let me, before I get off of that, let me, let me come back to where we are. Now, that's what we're doing. We're helping start this church there in, in North London. We're helping. Where'd our, where'd our San Diego guys go? Have they already flown back? Our San Diego guys, we're helping start a church down there in San Diego. Uh, we're working in New Orleans. We're working in Vermont. We're working in Moldova. We're working in other places we can't talk about. But you've been with all of these missionaries this week. This is what we're doing. We're increasing. We're doing. In fact, this past Wednesday night, the guy from, uh, from San Diego who's going to pastor, we're helping him start a new church plant. Uh, we gave him $20,000 to put on a house. Now, let me tell you, you know what that is? That's a month's rent in California. <laughs> Just about a month's rent. That may get him by two months. But we gave him $20,000 this past Wednesday night here in this place uh, to help him and his family. Uh, get on their feet there in, where is it? In Los, it's not Los, it's San Diego, San Diego. So that's what we're doing. We're serious about this. We, we're, we're not playing with this. 
We're going to take young men and young women into this church. Part of that is part of our training, young men and young women who will come in. We've got several that are here now. They're training now, and we'll send them out in a year, or we'll send them out in a year and a half. They'll go to other churches. And you say, well, we're investing in them, and they're going to leave us? Yes. We're, invest- we're not investing in a church. We're investing in the kingdom. We got a bigger idea than just a church. We're investing in kingdom work. But now listen, let me, let me tell you, this past year, we're running right now, today, 250 to 300 more than we did this time last year. We had 150 join this church this past year, over 50 of them by profession of faith. Now what if by this fall we have half of that come into this church, 125 out of that 250. What if, what if we increase by 125? What are we going to do? We're out of space in our preschool, in our children's area. You say, well, don't we have some more space? We're working on that. We're doing space study on the church. Not in, we're not doing outer space study. We're doing space study here. And yes, we've got some room. We're going to have to move some Sunday school classes. I just hope and pray that you're one of those who will spare not. That is, we will not stand in the way of what God is doing. If it means moving to a new room, our class, so what is that? Let me tell you, with this whole church, in the end, God's going to burn it all down anyway. So I wouldn't get too used to any of it. Are we willing to move? Are we willing to give? Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to spare not? I don't know what the future holds. But if we continue to grow like we're growing, we're going to have to do something. You said, well, I don't know. You'll say a lot of things. Just write me an email. So anyway, let me, let me get to the last thing here. I've got a minute and eight seconds to go. So let me get you to the last thing. I have to take you over to chapter 55. I'd love to preach this whole chapter and into chapter 55, but let me just get you to 55 because this is where you see the mission ambition of gospel proclamation. Ho, everyone who thirsts comes to the waters. It's a call. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You, you come here. We've got water and food for you to eat that satisfies your life. He comes and he says, why do you spend money on what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Don't, don't spend your life chasing after this belief and that belief and this philosophy and that ism and this thing and that thing that you think is going to bring satisfaction and wholeness to life because it will not, but we've got what will satisfy your thirst and your hunger. In fact, let me show you something. If you go to the very last chapter of the Word of God, the 22nd chapter of Revelation, and you get down to almost the last verse there, verse 17, nearly the last thing in the Word of God is this, the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, and the bride, that's the church, say, come, come. The Spirit of God is compelling people to come. The church, we're to be compelling people to come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who hears, that's you individually. You've heard the gospel. You've tasted the water. You've eaten of the fruit of the word of God. You know that God satisfies. Tell somebody else that. Share that. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let them come here. 
Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Won't cost you a dime to come and get saved. That's the grace of God. Nearly the last words of God's word in the New Testament is this quotation from out of Isaiah 55. And it is about the proclamation of the gospel. Calling lost people to come to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me, God says. Listen that you may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown. He said, just like I made a covenant with David, I'll make a covenant with you. That's good. Behold, I have made him a witness. I made David a witness. You say, wait a minute. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. David did all kinds of stuff. David lied. David hid for a year. Yes. Aren't you glad God forgives? Huh? Aren't you glad God forgives? He's used him. Now he comes in Isaiah long after David, and he says, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold now, he turns to speak to Israel. Let me, let me explain something quickly to you here. When you come to the prophets, the Old Testament prophets could see the coming of the Messiah but they saw the coming, the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah as one event. They could not distinguish between the two. They never saw the, the, the time valley in between. It's like looking at the mountains and you see this mountain. And then when you drive on around, you see this mountain that was behind it the entire time. And there's this huge valley in between. The prophets never saw that. They just saw the coming of Messiah. And so as they looked at it, they would mingle the first and the second. That's why you have to take the Word of God and read it carefully. You can't treat it like every other book you pick up. You have to sit down prayerfully and begin to study through the Word of God. And he comes, and this is what he says to Israel in the millennial kingdom now. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now listen, let me tell you what he's saying right there. He's saying this to Israel. He's saying there's coming a day when you will, in that kingdom, you will call out for the nations to come to worship Jesus, the Messiah. You will call out and the nations that you never even dreamed of or thought about or knew existed will come running to you. Why will they run to Israel? Because they will be captivated by the glory of God in these redeemed people. You say, well, what's that got to do with us? Well, he tells Israel that they're going to call and the nations will run to them. But what has he said to us very clearly? You run to the nations. He comes and he says, you go. Therefore, into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Right now, he's calling us, the church, you, me, to take the gospel to the nations next door and around the world. He's calling us to make that decision, to go that's why I've asked you to hold that card in your hand because I want you to prayerfully think about going somewhere. You say, but I wait, preacher, I just, 
There's no way I can do this. Now, I'm going to conclude like this. I'm going to give you two illustrations. And I want you to listen to me because we all sit here and we think, I can't do that. There's no way. I can't go and share Jesus Christ. I don't know what to say. I've, I've, never, been tra- I've never been educated. I, I don't know. You know, I've never been to school. I, I don't know how I would explain. I don't know where to start with somebody. If they ask me something I don't know, I'd be so embarrassed. I'd be so ashamed. You know, in my ministry, I've had a lot of privileges. I don't always understand the privilege that God has given me, why he gave it. First Dallas for seven years, First Baptist Jacksonville for 12. I had two of the greatest orchestra leaders in the world. One was Eddie Ferguson. The other one was Edson Dickinson. I remember on one occasion now, the reason I have serious radio. Now, y'all, I know y'all think I'm crazy, so I'll just further the idea. Um, I have serious radio in my car because I love to listen to an orchestra. I just love an orchestra. And uh, I love to listen to the symphony channel. And when they play Vivaldi or when they play uh, Tchaikovsky or when they play Mozart or when they play, uh, especially Beethoven is my favorite. When they play, I love to hear the orchestra. I walked up to Eddie one day and I said, Eddie, I got this tune going through my head and I don't, I don't know what it is. Tell me what it is. I said, what, what is that? And Eddie looked at me and he said, that's Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. I said, you could tell that? He said, oh yeah. He says, I've written all the parts for that, for all the different instruments here. It's just, I've led parts of that uh, symphony before. I'm very familiar with it. Now, while I'm sitting here, I'm thinking to myself, I must sound like an idiot trying to whistle a classical piece of music. One of the greatest pieces of music ever written. And I'm out here looking at Eddie Ferguson and I'm whistling this thing to him. But do you know what he heard? He heard something different. He didn't hear this crazy preacher whistling something. He heard something different in his head. This is what he heard. sitting there whistling that thing to him. (laughs) That's not what he hears. What he hears is an entire symphony. I thought about that and I think, well, that's the way I sound when I preach. (laughs) It's so simple and so dumb and so, you know, imperfect and weak. But let me tell you something. Don't ever underestimate the Holy Spirit of God. 
And you say, well, I can't share and I can't talk and they'll ask me something I don't know and, and, and I'll get befuddled and I'll mess it up and, and I'll just embarrass myself. Let me tell you something. When you just share what Jesus Christ has done for you, you want to know how it sounds to somebody who's never heard the gospel before? This is the only way I know to explain it to you. You think that you are inept God's spirit is not. This is what it sounds like. I'm asking you tonight to follow him, to serve him, to let him come into your heart and forgive you of your past sins, to start you in a new direction. I'm asking you tonight to receive him as Lord and Savior. You say, that can't be me. You don't know that. You have no idea what the Spirit is doing in a dimension that you cannot see and cannot hear when you simply take the Word of God and say to somebody, Jesus Christ will forgive your sins. That's what we're called to do. We're called to have a mission, ambition. Let's stand. You've got that card in your hand, church. I don't know if through the service you've been filling that out, but I'm going to ask you right now just to do that. Take a pen, pencil, whatever you've got. Poke the guy next to you, the lady next to you. Ask them to borrow whatever they're using. But I want you to look at this, and, I want you to, and I'm going to give you just a minute now to do this. I'm going to ask our deacons, if they would, to come down front with their bas baskets because we're going, to, we're going to make a decision here. If you're serious about this, if you're not serious about it, don't waste your time. Don't, uh, don't take up our time having to go through this. But if you're serious about this and you say, I want to commit to live on mission, hear the ways by praying, by sending, by going, that's what I want to talk to you about right there is by going. You see listed all of the trips that we've got coming up. You say, well, I can't go overseas. Well, maybe you can go to Burlington. Maybe you can go to, uh, maybe you can go to New Orleans. Maybe you can go up uh, out to uh, San Diego. You say, well, I can't do that. Well, maybe you can go, go to one of our ministries downtown Birmingham. Maybe you can do something here. All of us should be involved in that. We live here. We ought to be involved in the ministries around here. Every one of us, all of us in this place, young, old, and in between. But maybe you can go. You say, Pastor, I can't go this year. Well, commit to pray about it. Commit to save. Commit to put so much aside. We've got families that are going to well, maybe it's best not to say where, but we've got some families that are going off to a very difficult place to get to. They got to fly halfway around the world. They're taking teenager with them, one of them, other husbands and wives, maybe some singles that are going. They're going to a difficult place. Plan for it now. Don't wait until this time next year to say, well, I really should have planned. Start planning now. Pray about it. Save some money. Put some money aside. Some of you, though, could go this year. Be a part of one of these missions that's here. Either to Taiwan or to London or to Ecuador where you can go and you can literally get your hands 
into the work. All of these places that are here to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, but I, I don't know that I'm qualified. I just preached an entire sermon to you that you're qualified. If you're saved, that's your, con- that's your commission right there. Between now and then, we'll help train you. We'll show you how you can share the gospel. We'll talk to you about that. You can do it. I've watched children do it. You can do it. So prayerfully right now, I, I pray that you're, you're marking this. And that you're going to put your name and your email there. If you've already filled it out, just pray over it for a minute. Lord, this is not something that we should do lightly or take lightly. But something, Father, that should express the heart of mission in our heart. It should reflect the heart of you, God. That we have an ambition, a determination, a motivation to do what you're calling us to do. So Lord, take this moment and lift it, Lord, up to yet another plane to where we give. Not the easiest thing for us to give, Father, that's money. It's easy for us to give money. It's hard for us to give time. It's hard for us to give our energy. It's hard for us to open our mouth and speak the gospel. I pray, Lord, lift us up to that higher plane as we make these commitments this morning. For I pray it in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite you to come. Some of you need to come and join this church. Others of you need to come and give your life to Christ. Some of you here need to just get to an altar and get on your knees. I have for a year or better pled with young people to come and surrender to the call of ministry. We are desperate now in this country for young men and young women to give their lives uh, to the ministry of Jesus Christ. I believe God's speaking to our young people. I want our young people to answer. I want our young people to to hear him and I want them to answer and to trust him by faith. I'm inviting you to come. Bring your pledge, what it is that you're pledging to God to do. You come right now.